Welcome to Parent Talk Podcasts, where experienced parents and expert guests give tips and tricks on making parenting a breeze. Well, at least a little easier. Now here is your host, Genevieve Kyle, and co-host, Heather Fox. Hi everyone, welcome to Parent Talk, broadcasting out of the greater Vancouver area. Parent Talk is a conversation that supports and encourages moms and dads. Our show is a great way to connect and bounce ideas off of other parents going through similar experiences, helping us be the best parents we can be. If you have a question or you would like to join us on our show as a guest or as an expert, please visit the contact us section on our website at parenttalk.ca. I'm Genevieve Kyle. I'm the founder and your host of Parent Talk. I'm a 41-year-old new mom of a one-year-old little boy named Alexandre, and I am a registered dental hygienist. Today, we're talking about the importance of motor's milestones from birth to one-year-old. So let's go around the table and introduce ourselves. Hi, everyone. My name is Heather Fox, and I am your co-host of Parent Talk. I am 40 years old and a new mom to baby Hudson, who is now one years old. I am a stay-home mom now. However, my background is in early childhood education, and I'm a former owner of Jimbury Play and Music. Hi there. My name is Kate Hayes, and I'm a mother of two little girls, uh, a three-year-old Athena and almost a year-old Celine. I'm a pediatric physiotherapist who's just finishing up her maternity leave, and uh, I've had the pleasure of working in both private uh, clinics as well as at BC Children's Hospital while working in pediatrics. I'm currently a physiotherapist at Kids Physio Group, as well as I do um, private in-home treatments in the Tri-Cities area. Hello, my name is Laura Patrick. I am a mom to a beautiful four-year-old little boy. <laughs> I get to say that because he's my only child. Yeah. Um, and uh, um, I am a physiotherapist as well, working in pediatrics, and I founded a Kids Physio Group back in 2006, and we are now three clinics across um, the Metro Vancouver area, and um, I absolutely love my job. Am I allowed to say that? I yes. love yes. my job. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. All right, so... What are the motor milestones and why do we care about them? So motor milestones are the major movements that our children do. So it's things like rolling, crawling, walking, and they're all things that happen in a really predictable pattern and at typical ages. So there is variation in the ages that they occur, but we do expect all of them to happen in a certain pattern. The reason that we care about them is that they help our children to gain different skills and strength and movement patterns that they're going to use later on to do all those things like walking, running, jumping, kicking a soccer ball, all the things that you know they're going to do later on to enjoy all of their sports and physical activities. What are the main gross motor milestones? This is a really interesting question in terms of time. So... We are looking for them to happen in, in a predictable order, like Kate mentioned. Um, but I want to make it really clear that the motor milestones are achieved at different ages. So it's really important not to necessarily compare your baby to another three-month-old, but to know that this is a continuum um, and, and that you have, um, you have time within that continuum to develop a skill. So for instance, head control, typically your child will gain head control um, even from as early as one month, but we are looking for your child to have a really strong head 
um, a writing ability around the three-month age, um, particularly when they're on their tummy, so they're lifting their head up. And then um, around four months, we're looking for their ability to have lateral head control. So that means when we tip them to the side, we're looking for them to bring their ear towards their um, their shoulder or have their eyes uh, maintaining a horizontal position. Um, but like I say, it's really important that we're not necessarily expecting them to achieve them at exactly three months or exactly four months. Um, and depending on what we do with our kids, they're going to achieve their motor milestones sometimes more quickly or maybe a little later. So we talked about head control, but I'm also looking at rolling as a major motor milestone, and that happens anywhere between three to six months, sometimes as early as two and a half though, depending on how much tummy time a child gets. And then sitting, typically around six months, but again, there's just a continuum. Some babies sit quite well at five and a half months, and some babies take up to seven, eight, nine months to sit. And again, this goes back to how much tummy time we do. And then crawling between eight and 10 months, but I'm going to look at Genevieve. Yes. Can you tell us when your baby crawled? Five and a half months. Mm-hmm. And we'll kind of we'll go into the story as to why yes. that happened a little later, but um, crawling typically closer to eight to 10 months and then walking. A lot of babies are up walking at their first birthday and that's a milestone that many parents are quite happy. My baby's walking by one. Um, but as a pediatric physio, I think most of us would be quite pleased to see kids not pulling into walking until 14 or 15 months of age. And we'll go back to why that might be the case. Um, other skills that are, um, we don't necessarily think of as being a major motor milestone are pulling up to stand independently, weight bearing on the legs, um, and then there's various different small skills in each of those milestones that we can we can break down and look at as well. So what can we as parents do to help our kids with these milestones? Tummy time. Tummy time. <laughs> I've done that. Any That's pediatric, the big yeah, any pediatric physio is going to tell you that um, leaving your child um, to develop without a lot of containment, so lots of freedom of movement, but that starts with placing your child on their tummy. And so Kate, I'm going to ask you um, to maybe explain a little bit around when and how early we can start tummy time and why that um, is so important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks, Laura. Um, so tummy time, you basically can start from day one. Um, tummy time looks different for a newborn than it obviously it would for, let's say, a two-month-old or a four-month-old or six-month-old. So I think a lot of times um, we hear parents get really frustrated about saying, my child hates tummy time, it's hard, they're too young, and you know they cry right away. So then they just don't place their kids on tummy. Um, and really, at, from a newborn age, even just having your child placed on your chest and kind of you know, sagging down the couch in your tummy to tummy, that's tummy time. And having them over your leg when you're burping them, that's tummy time. Um, It doesn't have to be necessarily down on a surface, although we'll talk about why that's so fantastic as well. Um, When they get a little bit older, just putting them on a surface and, and having them lying there, being able to practice lifting their head and turning to the side, all of that is working all sorts of muscles in their shoulder girdle, their core, their back, all these muscles that they're going to use for key skills later on that kind of links into their rolling and their sitting. Um, All babies automatically have the pattern that they're going to use to learn all of these skills on their own, Um, but it's important that we help provide them with different positioning opportunities and exercise opportunities so that they can achieve all those milestones. And... We get a lot of questions about how much tummy time should I be doing? 
early on, I would say about 30 minutes a day where you're spending time with your newborn on your chest. Um, and it doesn't have to be 30 minutes all at once, but think of it as a, um, a goal to achieve. And um, I really like to encourage moms who um, have the opportunity to observe their child in a, um, a prone or a, a tummy time nap. And that would be a supervised, 100% supervised nap. And you can do those tummy time naps as early as day one because it provides um, a really strong sense of security for a newborn. Oftentimes newborns will really thrive in that position and that's why many of them sleep on our chests so well. They get a lot of proprioceptive feedback from being face down and that's a position of comfort for children. So if you have the ability to observe your child in a um, a daytime nap, um, not on your chest, but actually on a a surface like a, a relatively solid couch, Um, A change table pad is something that I used to bring over to my couch, um, but certainly not one of the docatots or anything um, that a child's face could be covered by by anything. So making sure that this is 100% supervised. And then as kids get a little bit older, the amount of tummy time also goes up. So we're looking for upwards of 90 minutes of tummy time offered to a child throughout the day. And that could be, again, a a variety of positions. If you think of tummy time, anything face down a vertical, so we can provide many different tummy time options for kids that are supported, whether they're propped up on a a small pillow or, um, again, like Kate said, over your legs or, and uh, as physios, we have tons of tricks of how to get kids into tummy time. So really just looking for opportunities to provide um, up to 90 minutes of tummy time for a What's child. What's the age group for when you switch to 90 minutes? Well, I think you would be trying to achieve 30 right away and then each month continuing to increase that slowly. But if you start to get into the habit of placing your baby down on their tummy instead of their back right from the beginning or after several different diaper changes throughout the day, rolling your baby onto their tummy afterwards for a little bit of play. Again, this is very supervised, particularly if you have an elevated diaper changing station. It just becomes habit. So in you know, adding those habitual changes to your position where most of the time we, we lay a baby down on their back, um, offer a tummy option as well, at least once or twice a day is when you put your child down. Mm-hmm. My son, uh, because of a torticollis problem, um, my pediatrician was basically telling me tummy time, tummy time, tummy time. So he did a lot of tummy time. And I think that's why he turned at like two and a half months and mm-hmm. he crawled at five and a half months, but he just hated to be on his tummy. But I, I he had quite of a flat head and, um, so, and even his ear was a bit elevated, like just, it's, it was all from, uh, in utero, but uh, definitely that made a huge impact on his, uh, gross motor mm-hmm. skills, uh, development. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and definitely, um, when they're not on their tummies, um, I know, you know, sometimes it's all too easy to get into the trap of, you know, letting your child sleep in the swing or putting them in an extra saucer or letting them be in their car seat. And there's definitely, you know, a time and a place for all of that equipment, but trying to minimize the amount of time that your child is in that equipment as much as possible. I mean, when they're not on their tummies, even just placing them on their backs on a nice surface, that allows them to work all sorts of other muscles as well. So just trying to get them 
them kind of in the most natural equipment free positions is going to let them do what they do best. And that's moving their arms and their legs and looking from side to side. And all of that is what helps them to basically develop their muscles. They're doing a little mini baby workout while they're checking out their environment. So Mm -hmm. really that that is kind of the best thing for our young babies. Uh, one of the other things um, when we're talking about equipment uh, that you can do for your child is it, if you do have to go somewhere, rather than having, say, your child uh, clicked into a car seat and pushing them in the stroller, if if you're able as a parent, you can try and, and wear them. So putting them into different carriers and that sort of stuff, all of that um, forces your baby and your child to use more of their muscles than they would having to be in the car seat where they basically... It's kind of like, you know, sitting on, let's say, a horse versus sitting in a lazy boy. So when they're in the car seat, think of your child in a lazy boy. And when they're in a carrier, they're kind of riding a horse, you know, they got to hang on. They got to work some muscles. They're getting a bit of a workout that way. So that's a good thing for them. Absolutely. And there's so many different wraps and and carriers out there. And one of the questions we often get is, what's the best one? And my answer is always, what is most comfortable for a mom? Yeah. That you're going to wear it. So don't don't worry about trends. Don't worry about patterns. Just find a carrier. And there's some great resources um, in many different cities to to access different wraps. So try a bunch on. There's lots of places that you can go and try and put your baby in and see and know that um, carrying is an awesome option. Mm-hmm. And my challenge, I'm going to challenge everybody on this podcast today. Okay. If you have a little one um, under the age of six months for sure, see if you can use your car seat only in the car, even for one day. Just try it. See if you can change your habit enough to take your baby, leave the car seat, even if it unclicks and can click into your stroller try and make that transfer from the car seat to a carrier or from a car seat to a stroller that um, has a bassinet and your baby is laying down and has more freedom of movement or to a stroller um, that is a little more um, upright but can be reclined and perhaps facing you and um, and they just, again, they have a little more freedom of movement. See how it goes. I... I had to actually do this because I was not able to lift my car seat with mm. my son in it because of a postpartum pelvic floor problem. And uh, yeah, I, I couldn't do that. So mm-hmm. uh, I it, it took a little bit uh, more effort from me. But yeah, my son mm-hmm. didn't. Yeah. It's yet yeah. another reason why Alex crawled so early. Yes. Maybe, right? I, but yeah. it's me first. That's me that time, right? I couldn't right. lift it. So those car seats are so heavy. Actually, I think one trick we should say out there is you just gave birth. Your pelvic floor had, it's, 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 it's quite of a workout in there, right? So, um, give yourself, embrace yourself and don't lift your car seat with a baby in it. Like it's just so hard on your pelvic floor. And I do recommend anybody that give birth naturally or not actually even C-section, go see a pelvic uh, for a physiotherapist, absolutely at your six weeks. I recommend this to everybody, whoever wants to listen to me. <laughs> so our little, little bracket here. <laughs> so one more thing too, just while we're still talking about kind of how we can help our kids with motor milestones. Um, one of the other kind of great areas to keep in mind to help keep your child 
uh, we'll say symmetrical, so evenly balanced on both sides is around feeding. Um, Because I think every mom knows that feeding comes up a lot at home. (laughs) And so it's a great opportunity to make sure that we're balancing uh, left and right sides of our children. So whether you're breastfeeding or whether you're bottle feeding, um, one of the big things that comes up is just making sure that your child is facing both directions. I think with breastfeeding, this comes up a little bit more naturally that you will shift them from one side to the other. Um, But if you're doing more of a football hold, just make sure that you don't kind of, you know, go from the left breast and then shuffle them over to the right while they're still in the same position. Actually flip your child around and feed them facing the other direction so that then what they're doing while they're lying there and they're feeding is they're actually subtly working their neck muscles. They're subtly, you know, using the arm that's on the upper side that's free. They're subtly kicking with the other leg that's free. Um, and the same thing happens when you're bottle feeding with bottle feeding. I know it's, it's all too easy to kind of, I was very guilty of it, always using my left arm to hold my child and always using my right arm to, um, to feed with the bottle. And it very quickly becomes apparent that that one side of the neck can get stronger really quickly. And so I, you know, it's just a plug to everyone everywhere. Keep switching sides for feeds because it makes a big difference. And I know that in the middle of the night, when you are, you know, sleep deprived, you're going to forget about it. I did. And it's what I do for work. So, um, just re-remind yourself and, um, you know, everyone's got their trick out there for putting the, you know, elastic on the left side versus the right side to remember which side to feed on, but make sure you're doing the same thing for switching sides for feeding just for the development of both sides of your child's body. It's also important. So I guess at night you just do it on your favorite side. Yes. You have sleeping. Just make it work at night. Worry about it during the day. Do the other side. That's right. Absolutely. I kind of want to address maybe the question of why do we need to do so much tummy time or why is that so... Why is, why is that such a buzzword and, 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 and that, um, babies need to spend time in tummy time cause they're born in relative physiological flexion. So they're in your, in, unless they're breech and sometimes they're a little more extended, but, um, in some instance, um, instances, babies who are not offered that upper time, uh, that, that opportunity for, um, early tummy time will have a bit of a delay. So they may not end up with flatness in their head, or they may not end up, end up with tightness in their neck, but if they're not offered the opportunity to be on their tummy, um, they start to stay in the same pattern of flexion or they're only getting their extension while lying on their back. And then as you can imagine, a child who's only placed on their back, they don't get opportunity to extend and overextend their neck. So they're not actually going into what would be um, considered an extension pattern. They're just extending through their legs, but they're not overextending their neck. Um, And we want to make sure that babies get that opportunity because it is the main precursor to the next motor milestone. So a child who um, is really strong in tummy time will eventually roll off their tummy and onto their back because they want to change their position. Um, and by doing that, they're learning a, a, a new skill of, of rolling. Mm-hmm. Um, but it will, it will really elevate your child's gross motor skills and it will give them an opportunity to see the world in a different perspective. So that means lifting up and looking at the world from an extension position in their tummy. Um, and that's really what makes them much more comfortable to get into a crawling position. And we'll kind of talk about that when we get to crawling too, but the tummy time is the main reason, um, especially a strong tummy time to get a child into a crawling position. Awesome. So is it really important that a child crawl and, uh, what type of crawling is normal? So yes, 
We love <laughs> crawling as physiotherapists. Um, however, having said that, as a parent, um, don't freak out if your child doesn't crawl. Not all of them will. Um, we're a little biased as pediatric physios because there's just so many great things that happen in crawling, but there's also lots of kids out there who will skip this milestone, but they have all the great tummy time. They have all the skills that they need. And then they just hop to walking because they're just real go-getters. And those are the kids we're not worried about. Um, however, there are other kids that we worry about who skip the crawling, um, and we worry about them more, um, crawling itself there's no real normal we think of the normal as kind of the reciprocal pattern where you know you have your left knee and your right hand coming out in front followed by the right hand and the left hand and the right knee coming out in front so kind of that typical crawling pattern that's quote unquote normal Um, but lots of kids kind of have their own weird and wonderful ways of doing things and we all know as parents that uh, there's no normal for children. <laughs> I wish so there that might was. be like um, an army crawl. Or mm. First, will look like an army crawl, or one leg is it mm-hmm. on a foot and the other leg is on a knee. Mm-hmm. Um, those are sort of interesting crawling patterns, and sometimes those are as a result of the surface that your child is learning mm-hmm. to crawl on. So hardwood is a little mm-hmm. harder, and if a child um, isn't offered um, opportunities to crawl without um, pants on, they'll they'll maybe try and find more traction in a foot, especially mm-hmm. if that foot is in a, um, like a moccasin shoe or, or if it's, or if it's barefoot, um, they'll be able to get a little more traction by putting one foot up. So you might see, depending on how your child um, is crawling or what surface they're crawling on, they may develop interesting patterns, but we really are looking for the key thing in crawling that they're weight bearing on their hands. So, um, that leads me to what sort of defining what bum scooting is. So bum scooting is not crawling and it is not a developmental milestone. Um, Bum scooting is typically as a result of a child not being comfortable to get in and out of sitting into a crawling position. So children, when they learn to sit, um, will typically learn to fall out of sitting in some pattern. And if a child is not comfortable to come out of sitting and put weight through their hands. And sometimes that can be because kids are sensitive in their hands. They don't like to put weight or they don't like to have things touch their hands. And so they may just fall over and then resort to a rolling kind of pattern to get from A to B and then somehow get back up into sitting, which usually looks like screaming to ask for their parent to help them to get into sitting. And then they're happy to be in sitting for a while. And then they might slowly slump over and then roll to the next thing and then ask to be propped up into sitting again. Um, But then eventually a child who's really comfortable in sitting wants to move. And so they will try any and everything to move. (laughs) And it usually looks like a bum shuffle or a bum scoot. And they may or may not do this using their hands. Some kids will propel with one hand and hold their toy in the other hand and and get from A to B. Um, But we are really looking to get kids out of that pattern. If you notice your child starting to bum scoot, um, seeking support from a physio, to um, assist in, in figuring out why that might be happening because they can look back at some of the reasons as to why. Um, and then really encouraging uh, weight-bearing in hands crawling position um, that, that can look a little asymmetrical depending on what the foot is doing, but really the key there is, is the weight-bearing on the hands. Um, and Kate, maybe if you want to tell us a little bit about the benefits of weight-bearing and on hands. Um, 
Oh, there's lots. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, absolutely. So definitely when you're weight bearing through your hands, um, one of the things that happens is the kids' hands start opening. And so really early on when, when little ones are starting to weight bear on their tummies and through their hands and starting to push up, what they're doing is they're actually opening their hands and starting to work on all those hand muscles. Um, for doing all those great things later, like grabbing little crackers for snacks and coloring and pulling on things and playing with toys. Um, The other thing that they're doing is they're just really kind of working all of their shoulder muscles that, again, they're going to use for things like pulling and starting to work all those arm muscles that they're going to need for being able to shift their weight over to one side so that they can only bear weight through one arm and actually lift one hand to then start doing a crawl because you need to be able to put weight on just one arm before you can actually lift another and, and crawl. Um, so all that little wiggling and moving around and kind of dancing on their tummies and in four point that they're doing, what they're really doing is they're just kind of, again, they're doing their little mini baby workouts and getting ready for, for the next milestone. The crawling pattern also challenges what's called the cross crawl pattern in the brain. So when our right hand and our left leg are moving, um, we're using both sides of the brain. So it's the crossing of the neurons, (laughs) one side to the other, um, which lays down the foundation for early coordination. So children who are speedy, speedy crawlers, not only are they weight bearing a ton through their arms, so developing great shoulder stability, they're also getting um, a lot of weight bearing through their hips and their knees. Um, And then they're working that brain cross crawl pattern, which um, is great for things like um, using a tennis racket or kicking a soccer ball or learning to play golf or any of the um, sort of the higher level sports that require a certain amount of coordination. I love to see babies speed crawling for a long period of time, um, which gets us kind of to when should my baby walk? And that might be um, the question that we get a lot is when will my baby walk? When will they um, get up off their hands and knees? Um, And typically speaking, if a child can crawl over to something and pull to stand, Um, they're showing signs of being ready to walk, but we want them to be able to do that completely on their own. We're not really trying to encourage kids to walk with hands being held um, or by pushing something. Um, We are looking for kids to develop really strong crawling patterns and also push into what's called deep squat. So a child can be crawling along and then see a toy and then maybe push back onto their heels through this really nice deep squat position and sit there and play in kind of a deep squat position. And eventually they might push up into like a nice bear downward dog kind of looking position. And then eventually they might actually have the confidence and the strength to be able to, um, to push right up into stand even in the middle of the room. So a child who has crawled and done a lot of deep squat playing and a lot of cruising along furniture will be a really strong, confident walker and will probably um, walk anywhere. I like, I think we talked about anywhere from like 12 months to, um, to 15 months. So what type of play is good for motor development? So we already talked before briefly about um, how really any type of play where your child is down on the floor is great play for their motor development. So trying to get them out of things like the jolly jumper and the extra saucer, which are really fun for your child, and that's great, and they can use it in short periods, but then getting them on the floor and you getting down on the floor with them and engaging with them and trying to you know, get on your tummy and look at them eye to eye. 
So there's lots of equipment out there that you can buy and um, lots of things that you can invest your money in. But really the, the best thing that you can do for your child is just invest in a good play mat or a good area um, that's safe where they can play and explore all the toys that you have with them. Maybe even get a mirror that's down on the floor so that babies love looking at themselves. And that definitely encourages them to come over and take a look and do lots of different movements. We want to give lots of opportunities for our kids to have engaging toys to play with. What we want to limit is the amount of toys that actually contain a child. So I can throw out examples. Um, certainly we're not trying to throw any piece of equipment under the bus <laughs> in terms of mm-hmm. saying, you know, don't use this or don't use that. But things like jolly jumpers and exercisers and bumbos and any piece of equipment really for that matter that contains your child in a position is one that we want to use in moderation. So we are really looking for kids to use, use those for, for fun, um, use them as a position change, but no more than five or 10 minutes. Um, and I would say that as a maximum for a day, um, that's hard to go to, to do. I realize that, but if you use it as a goal for yourself, it's one that we can, we can continue to, um, try and achieve. Um, as Kate mentioned, the best investment is a really, um, great play mat, uh, one where if a child was to fall, um, or tip over in sitting, um, they're not going to hurt themselves. So they're not necessarily falling onto hardwood. Um, we like to recommend that children or parents set up what's called a safe play zone in your home. And that's where nothing is off limits. So it's a place where your child can explore and play and pull up on furniture, have a safe place to fall and certainly be free of sharp edges, things that they can pull and have something fall down on them. And in, in your home here, um, Jen, it's amazing to see your safe play zone. And I would love you to, to share a little bit about how you set that up and what are some of the things that your son loved. We wanted him to be able to develop and play and without actually us being always assisting him. And we didn't want to be in a world of no, don't do this, don't touch that. So what I created actually, it's a, it's a space of yes. And uh, I have a big, and it, it looks like a living room, but uh, the intention of this is I have a really big thick carpet with a really big underlay under. So if he falls down off the couch or off the ornament, which is actually everything is leather. So it's one of those like, puffy ornament, right? And his, his toys are a little bit all around. And then um, when he was a bit younger, actually, I would, um, I have those little squares and all his toys is in. So when I have adult time, actually, I can hide all the baby stuff so it doesn't look like an explosion of toys. But um, I could close this area. So when he was too young to actually even wander around the house, it was safe for him. He had this like really big area and it could just play and mm-hmm. look look mm-hmm. over to us, you know, if we were in the kitchen. But now he goes everywhere, he comes to the kitchen and mm-hmm. obviously everything is locked, right? So uh, we have this beautiful magnet system. So at <laughs> night I can uh, deactivate everything. So it becomes, again, a, an adult area. And when he's... When he gets up in the morning, I just reactivate everything so then he can't access anything. And I think one, another reason why I did this is um, uh, for my family, but I wanted to other moms and children to be able to come to my house and have an area that everybody feels safe. And I think it worked really mm-hmm. good. We did a lot of lunches, mom's lunches when I was on mat leave. And now we're doing mom's and dad's lunch once a month, actually. So... Yeah. Yeah. So having things like um, soft bins for your kids' toys to be in, um, those are really interesting for kids to crawl over and pull on. And if they pull on it, it's not a hard thing that um, if they pull on one side, the other side tips up and bonks them in the head. So look um, look for soft bins or at least ones that are, don't have sharp edges where if the child was to pull up on them. 
Think of using, um, like you say, anything where you're not saying no to a child and um, having a mirror down low is really great. A lot of people might have like a reflect a f- reflective fireplace as long as your fire is not on. Those reflective um, <laughs> things are, are, you know, it's a piece of glass so a child will be quite interested in um, and seeing themselves and looking what they're doing. But setting that up as just a wonderful place where they can explore with levels, put couch cushions on the floor, create obstacle courses, set up a sheet and a little tent so babies love to crawl underneath things and see where their body is in space. Provide those opportunities for kids. Make a mess during the day and and just have fun and get down and play with your kids. So if our child is not achieving those milestones, when should we be worried about it? And can you do something about it? Definitely. So as we mentioned before, the motor milestones and when all of our children achieve them, it's really varied. So if your child's not rolling at, you know, three to four months, or if they're not sitting up at six months, that's not necessarily, as we mentioned before, something to worry about. It's more things like looking at the quality of your child's movement. So if they're not rolling yet, are they interested in looking at toys? Are they tracking those toys side to side? Are they reaching out and trying to get to them? If they're not rolling over on their tummies yet, are they maybe rolling onto their side? Um, With sitting, if they're not sitting yet, you know, are they able to kind of be propped up and held in that position? Um, And if they are sitting but not crawling, we're looking at, you know, can they reach for toys out of kind of their main base of support and come back? Or do they basically sit there like a statue looking really uncomfortable and like they're going to topple over if they don't get there? So it's kind of always backtracking and looking at, you know, if they can't do one thing yet, well, what other things can they do now and how good are they at them? And that kind of gives us an idea of whether or not we should be worried about the fact that they haven't achieved it. And again, the, the variation in age ranges for all of this is is quite big. And even seeing lots of kids, particularly twins, you know, even twins, I've seen many that come in and the parents are worried, you know, saying that, well, my one twin can crawl and the other one's rolling, but that's it. And that's really normal. Like it's very normal for one child to crawl three or four months earlier than another. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's all normal. Um, one thing that's not normal is something called torticollis or plagiocephaly. So torticollis is where a child's neck has tightness uh, that's caused either from during birth or in utero. And they'll typically tilt their head one direction and turn their chin the opposite direction. And uh, plagiocephaly is just a really fancy word for flat head. And so if if a child has a preference for looking to one direction or they're always looking one way, um, or if they seem to be always sleeping on one side and developing a bit of flatness in their head, that's not normal. That's something that you should go see either a pediatric physiotherapist or go see your doctor um, to get a referral to be seen elsewhere for that. There's a few other um, reasons that we do have concerns for, for infants. Um, if you notice that your child has any hip clicks or hip clunks when you're changing their diaper, when you pick them up, that can be something to be um, concerned about. Not saying you need to rush to the emergency room for that right now if you're listening to this podcast by (laughs) any means, but it would be suggested that you go visit your family doctor or come to see a pediatric physio um, just to look at what might be going on in the hips for that reason. We love to suggest a motor milestone checkup. And I think for you, this would come really naturally to understand. We go to the dentist on a regular basis to get a checkup to see how we're doing. For babies, especially in their first year, this is something that is so helpful for for parents. And any parent that maybe um, is a new parent, this is the first time they're doing this, 
um, if they don't have family support or they don't have a mom who's got lots of experience in their life or an aunt or, or somebody who, who really knows what motor development looks like because they've, they've been through it before. We really like to suggest to parents to get ahead of the game. So rather than waiting until you notice something, um, you can come in and get advice from a physiotherapist to, to make sure that your child is um, achieving their motor milestones, but then also to get great take-home suggestions on how to support your child's development. Which age are you thinking right now? I love to see very new babies because there's a lot we can talk about. The sessions often look like a lot of education to um, to moms and dads. So really early on, um, you can start these. And then really what we like to suggest is come back, um, and your physiotherapist will be very specific with you on this, but come back when they're, if they're not achieving the next milestone that we expect, or if they have just achieve the next milestone, then we can start working on the next one with you. A motor milestone checkup with a pediatric physiotherapist, you have to remember is if you have extended benefits, these can be covered by extended benefits. So your dependent children are often listed in your extended benefits. So check with them. And then um, it does become a, a service that is a little more within reach for some families. So how can we access the expertise of a physiotherapist? So across the province of BC, uh, there's a great resource out there called BC Find a Physio. So if you Google that, you'll get the BC Physiotherapy Association webpage, and that's a great resource to look up private physiotherapists. Um, what you're going to do is click on the advanced search function, and then um, you're going to type in where you live and under areas of interest, I believe, or areas of experience, you, you look for pediatrics, and that's a pediatric um, area. There's also public service. So, so for all children ages um, zero to five, there is public physiotherapy that is supplied to children. And that's something that if you have concerns about your child and their movement, then go to your family doctor and express those concerns and they can refer you to one of the public services across the country. And then locally here in, uh, in Metro Vancouver at Kids Physio Group, this is our expertise. We absolutely would love to help new moms and dads um, support their children, their motor development, because historically we often will see kids who, who are a little bit older, who are having trouble with some coordination or core strength or um, balance or these kinds of things. And what ends up happening is in our assessments, we learned that maybe that child never crawled, or maybe we learned that they um, really hated tummy time. And so they never were placed on their tummy. And this is all information that could be um, preventable, or this is stuff that can be preventable if our kids um, are set up for success really early on. And education is the key, which is why this podcast in general is so wonderful. The fact that you're listening to this and you're interested in your child's motor development, um, taking the next step to come in and um, see a private pediatric physio. So kidsphysio.ca. All right. For our listeners here, you can find Kate and Laura on our panel of experts at pantalk.ca. But where else can we find you? Well, you can find me, like you said, on the Kids Physio webpage um, on the Surrey location, as well as on Twitter at, at Kate the Physio. And I love social media. So I have a couple of different ways you can reach out. You can find me on Instagram at Kids Physio Mum. So that's M-U-M at the end. And um, of course, through our website professionally at kidsphysio.ca, just under the Meet Our Team. 
All right. Well, Heather, I think it's time for a conversation card. Can you please pick one and read it to us? All right, ladies. Our question <laughs> of the day. Okay. Have you ever revealed a friend's secret and they found out? <laughs> Ooh. Wow. That question is loaded. I like <laughs> it. Loaded. I like it. Hmm. Oh, everyone's looking at me. I have to go first. <laughs> okay. Um, no, I keep secrets. I don't tell them. I'm very good that way. All right. And for you, Laura? Um, I think with my friends um, now, you know, the age of everybody having babies, um, probably one of the hardest secrets to keep is when you find out that one of your friends is pregnant. Um so yeah, I probably did <laughs> share with somebody else in the network of friends and anyone who's listening to this. I'm sorry, ladies, if my other girlfriends found out ahead of time, um, but it comes from love. That one is just like the really exciting moment. So, but I don't know that anybody ever found out. And if they did, they didn't say Keep anything. Keep it a secret. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> For me, I would definitely, yeah, I can't, I'm a pretty good person with keeping secrets. Definitely. Um, the only thing I think of is like sometimes if it's a completely unrelated, so I'm not saying a name and I'm just talking to somebody like a million people away. So you, like, you tell it generally and broadly enough that it never gets caught. Exactly. Oh, yeah. That's, that's I probably, <laughs> I've definitely done that before. So I've like not used a name or used, you know, so I've, but used a story. But again, making sure the person doesn't know anybody. And and my, my big piece of advice is the best people to tell are your dog or your baby. Yes. And so if you need to share a secret, there those are go. the two people that will never Definitely. say anything. But yeah. not That's your awesome. two-year-old. Not but your two-year-old. No, no, no. Two no, no, no. I, I, sorry. So your baby under the age of 18 months, for sure. There you go. Yeah. And I think for me, maybe I did as a teenager, you know, like in like 12, 13, 14, you know, you can't keep a secret, you know, so I think I've done it as a young person. But uh, as an adult, actually, it doesn't even like bother me to keep a secret at all. It's It goes there and it's like, it's just out of respect for other people, right? Mm -hmm. People choose to trust you and, and I think at that moment, you actually uh, consent to keep the secret. Yeah. So if you don't want to, then... Don't say then you can keep a secret to right. start with. It's, it's not a good group. As yeah. long as no one gets pregnant <laughs> and no one lives really far away, we're going to keep everyone's secrets here. We're good. Totally we're good, good right? I guess, yeah, when I was talking, like, it's not like nobody said to me, this is a secret, don't tell me. It's more like just they're sharing. You know how we chat and we share? That's kind of what I'm talking about. All right, ladies, that concludes today's episode. Um, I want to thank you, Laura. Thank you, uh, Kate. And thank you, Heather, for being here. Uh, thank you for your conversation and for your contribution into other parents' life. For our listeners, the conversation continues on our website at parenttalk.ca. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Podbean. And you can subscribe to this podcast on our website at parenttalk.ca so you don't miss an episode of Parent Talk. Don't forget to review us. Remember, there's nothing more powerful than feeling supported by a community of parents and sharing your thoughts, ideas, and experiences. Parent Talk is a safe space for everyone. Thank you for listening and have a great week. The views and or 
or opinions of the host and their guests are not necessarily those of Parent Talk and should not be considered as fact. The information offered is believed to be accurate but is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice and should not be used for diagnosing or treating any health issue or prescribing medication. If you have any questions or concerns regarding your physical or mental health or the health of your child, please seek assistance from a qualified healthcare practitioner.